chapter 2. Each pastor, when they're up here teaching, they're in a particular book of the Bible. And the book that I've been in the last few teachings, both on Wednesday nights or Sunday, has been the book of Romans. So now we're at Romans chapter 2 is where we'll pick up today. Before we get into the text of Romans, I would like to read this, uh, these verses from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a large white throne and the one who was seated on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Then books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. So the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one was judged according to his deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. Dear Lord, as we get into your word today, I just pray that all of us, including myself, would just have the, the light of your word shine on the parts of our heart that we don't know exist or that we do know exist and we need to have that light shine in that dark place. So go before us now, Lord. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends of mine last night went to uh, see a comedian, and the comedian uh, was also a ventriloquist. And one of the parts of the act, he had a dummy. So right now, I'm the dummy. The Lord, prayerfully, is going to speak through me to get the message across to you. We looked at uh, the last couple teachings in the book of Romans. We were looking at chapter 1 which reveals the unrighteousness of man. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans who were Jewish believers and also Gentiles who converted to the God of Judaism. Chapter 2, we're going to look at the self-righteous man. The person, the people who think they're okay. And Paul needed to show this to the people in Rome, just like God needs to show it to you and I today, because we can look at the world condition and say, hey, you know what? We're not too bad. We go to church once or twice a week. Every now and then we read the scriptures. Every once in a while we'll throw up a prayer to the Lord. We're pretty good compared to the rest of the world. Well, Paul is writing this letter to people like you and I. So let's see exactly what the Lord wants to show each of us individually today. Also, we're going to see some principles of God's judgment in the first 16 verses of chapter 2. Let's take a look now at Romans chapter 2. And when I say the word man, the Greek is anthrope, and it's a generic term that's speaking about men as well as women, Jews as well as Gentiles. So it's all inclusive. It's not just specifically for the Jew. It's not just specifically for the Gentile, boy or girl, man or woman. They're all inclusive. Verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. Now that word same in the Greek is auta, A-U-T-A. And the meaning is not identical things, but things that are just as bad in God's sight. So even if like at the end of Romans 1, if you were here for that teaching, there was a list of a whole mess of really, we would consider grievous and serious sins. So it's not only talking about those types of sins, but sins that are just as bad in God's sight. They're sins of depraved acts of a heathen or a, a Christian. Doesn't matter. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And, but they might be sins that we say, oh, we would never do that. That's out of my league. I would never even go there. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as them. 
I don't know if you've ever heard the story about the lady who was rushing to make an airplane flight. And just before she got on the runway, she went to the snack bar and picked up a newspaper and a little bag of cookies. Well, she made the plane and she sat down and next to her was a gentleman. And no words were said, but as the plane took off, this lady reached for her, you know, to get one of the cookies and it was uh, right next to her and the gentleman was to her left, ate one of the cookies. Well, within 10 or 15 seconds, the man who was sitting next to her also reached down and took one of the cookies. And she sort of eyeballed him from the side. She went down, picked up another cookie, her second cookie. Lo and behold, the guy does the same thing. So now she's thinking the audacity of this man, what he's doing. I mean, he hasn't even asked. Well, she goes down for the third cookie. Guy does the same thing. There's only one cookie left. <laughs> After a few seconds, the man goes for the cookie, breaks it in half, <laughs> gives her a piece. <laughs> she can't believe it. The things that are going on in her head as she's thinking about this man. Well, the plane leave, uh, uh, you know, lands. She's getting off. She picks up her pocketbook, goes to put her newspaper in it, and guess what she sees? A bag of cookies. Now you see, things weren't as it appeared. The thoughts in her head were not the right thoughts. She was making a judgment. And she was totally wrong. But how often, like her, have you and I done the very same thing? Might have happened this morning. Might have happened last week. Or there's a good chance it's going to happen this week in work, in school. Luke 6.37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verses we just read, so there's no excuse, there's no ignorance to the things of God. It's not an option because it says right here in his word that the things of God are written on our hearts. See, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, and a Gentile is simply a non-Jew. So all of us in here fall in that category. Most of you are Gentiles. So God's word is written on your heart. Now, we're privileged because we have his written word in front of us. We can glean from it. We can take from it. Do we do that diligently? Verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now, one of the things here is very important is God is going to judge each of us based on reality. What we really do. The actual act. See, it doesn't matter what we believe. It's our actions that show our belief. I've heard Pastor Joe several times up here and other pastors. What we believe is carried out in our behavior. How we behave shows our belief. Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 98.9 says, for he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world, and he'll do it with equity. He will judge the people equally. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you are. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're healthy or sick, short or tall, doesn't matter. Verse 3, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same thing, that you will escape the judgment of God? I don't think so. That's not going to happen. We see it throughout God's word. Not going to take place that way. Everybody 
is going to be judged based on your actions. According to this pastor, Bob Fovitt, there's four ways of escaping the justice system here on this earth. One, something that you did in breaking the law was never discovered. No one knew about it. Second, you may escape beyond the jurisdiction of the court. Number three, after an arrest, some legal technicality might set that person free. And four, after a conviction, maybe the person escapes from jail. But you know what? He or she is not going to escape God's divine judgment. There is a payday coming for everyone individually. Verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That word forbearance, it's a patient self-control it's a restraint, a tolerance. It's an action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. I want to read verse 4 again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's God's goodness that leads you and I to repentance. God's goodness. I want you to think about that for a second as I continue to teach you. The, God's long-suffering is patiently enduring wrongs or difficulties. Now, if you or I were God, how many times would we have exercised the termination power when we were in contact with someone who rubbed us the wrong way. Wow. There'd be a lot of crispy critters, according to the Gospel of Vinny. Can you imagine if you were God and when you lost your temper, who would that be directed to? You probably wouldn't have a family. You definitely want to have co-workers. I don't know how many sports teams would be absent by the end of the first quarter. But thank God that he is a God who is forbearing and long-suffering with every single creature, every single creation on the earth. Now, the dangerous thing is sometimes, and I did this for many years of my life, that I took God's goodness, His forbearance and long-suffering for His approval. That everything was okay. I guess what I'm doing is not that bad. My sin isn't that bad. There's more serious sins. But no, I was foolish. I was a sinner. I was playing games with the Almighty God who saw and knew my, all my actions and all my thoughts. Other people think of God's forbearance and His long-suffering as weakness. I mean, look, God's not doing anything. Maybe He's not even there. Maybe He's not paying attention. There's other things we can do with God's goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering. In 2 Samuel 6, there is an example of despising God's goodness. If you remember David, when he was dancing in the street, praising God, and his wife Michael saw him, she despised how David was extolling God's goodness. So when we see someone, maybe in front of you today, that was just praising God and, and where you are in your walk with the Lord, you looked at this person and say, like, what's he or she doing? What's going on? Like, 
You know, you're directed at that person rather than praising God. Another thing is, how about when you or I despise God's goodness, which is given to others? We don't understand how the uh, immoral movie star or athlete is making millions and millions of dollars, getting headlines in the paper, has all the pretty girls, and we don't understand it. And we're trying to follow the Lord, and, and, and we're just seeing this. Well, the Bible says that God reigns on the just and the unjust. That God isn't a respecter of persons. Does not matter who you are. The foot is level, or the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impotent hearts, impenitent hearts, not feeling shame or regret about one's actions or attitudes. Impenitent heart. You don't feel ashamed about anything that you're doing. Doesn't matter to you. You're just going on, living how you want to live. If it feels good, do it. And notice you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds Eternal life to those who by patient, continuous, and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation. A couple things I just want to point out before we pick up on nine. This word indignation, it's an anger or an annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment, an anger or annoyance, provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. And notice the word wrath here at the end of verse 8 and also up in verse 5. A.W. Pink, who is a, a Christian author and teacher, defines God's wrath this way. The wrath of God is his eternal destination of all unrighteousness. It is a displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. It is the moving cause of that just sentence which he passes upon evildoers. God is angry against sin because it is a rebelling against his authority. It's a wrong done to his Inviolable sovereignty. Insurrectionists against God's government shall be made to know that God is the Lord. They shall be made to feel how great that majesty is, which they despise, and how dreadful is that threatened wrath, which they so little regard it. When I was reading that by A.W. Pink, I was thinking of the day that Satan himself, knee will bow and tongue will confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And unfortunately, even with Satan himself, there are going to be other angels, and there's going to be a millions, probably billions of mankind that will be kneeling with Satan, bowing their knee, and confessing Jesus is Lord. See, they didn't do it here on this earth while they could, while they had that choice. But in eternity, they will be doing it. What side of eternity do you and I bend our knee on, knees on and confess that Jesus is Lord? Back to uh, verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now understand, as we're going through Romans 2, these are not principles of things that we are trying to do. Because you and I are not under the law, we're under, the, under God's grace. We are not under the law, but we're being led by God's Holy Spirit. But understand what Paul is doing here. 
He's saying, if this is your way of life and you think you're going to get to heaven by living like this, this is going to be the basis of your judgment. How you are acting to, uh, towards other people. You see, the law was perfect and right and just. The Ten Commandments are awesome. Now, if a person can keep those Ten Commandments, and by the way, there's over 600 laws in Judaism condensed into 10. But if any man, woman, child can keep every single one of those Ten Commandments, they're going to go to heaven. But as soon as they break one, whether it's through thought, word, or deed, they're damned. Their eternal destiny has been decided. But you and I are no longer under the law. Thank you, Jesus. But we're under grace. Grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. By Jesus dying on the cross, he took away the penalty of the law. He crucified the law to him. He crucified you and me with him. And now, as we know, or most of us know, that we now identify with Jesus through his death on the cross because he died for you and for me. He was our substitute for what the law showed you and me how we broke it. Notice also in verse 5 that those people who have a hard heart and an impenitent heart, which is a non-repentant heart, are storing up a treasure of wrath for that day of wrath. Can you imagine? There's a storehouse of wrath waiting for those people who are unrepentant. That's heavy. It's a very heavy and uh, sobering statement. Now, A.W. Pink hit it right on the head. But for me, it's simply put this way. Divine wrath is God's righteous anger and punishment, which has been provoked by sin. Sin brings about God's righteous anger and punishment. In John chapter 12 Verse 47, it says, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And John, 14, uh, John 12, 48 says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. And the words spoken will judge him in the last day. The good news of the gospel that Paul speaks of throughout the book of Romans and brought out how he was not ashamed of the gospel in chapter 1 is that anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ is no longer under the sentence of divine wrath. And hopefully that's everybody in this place and within the sound of my voice that you're not under God's wrath. Romans 10, verses 5 to 11 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the, righteous of faith speaks in this, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Once you and I have trusted in Jesus for salvation, we have this confidence. 
That's something you and I can boast in, what Jesus has done for us. Verse 12 in Romans 2. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. You see, one could be justified doing the law in theory. But in practice, it's impossible. Right? We know this. We want to keep the law, but we can't. The things we try to do, we don't do. Just like Paul said. Who's going to deliver us from this body of death? Well, praise be, Jesus. He did it. What we couldn't do, he did. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Your debt and my debt. The word just or justice, it's being free from the guilt of sin. Or it's morally right or justifiable. A justified person is one whom God sees as righteous in relation to his law. And notice the last verse there in verse 13. They are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Not the hearers of the Lord, but the doers of the law. Jesus won our justification at the cross. Now, we're justified, we're going to see later in the chapter, and in, in, later in the book of Romans. It's just as this, justification, just as if you've never sinned. That's how God looks at you and me, if you're covered in his blood. If you have on his robes of righteousness. If you don't, you have filthy rags that are covering you. All God sees are your filthy rags of your sins, your deprivation. But if you have on his robe of righteousness, he sees you pure and clean. You might be going, but Vinny, I'm not pure and clean. No, no, you've got to understand. He paid for your sins, the past, the present, the future. He sees the finished product. You and I don't. We live with each other. We know our imperfections, but he knows who we are in him. And one day we'll see each other as he sees us. The law warned that anything short of perfect obedience to it, even reading or studying it or hearing it preached or taught, which the Jews relied on, made a person guilty before God if they didn't keep it perfectly. In Deuteronomy 27, 26, it says, Cursed is the one who refuses to keep the words of this law. And all the people, when they heard that read, would say, Amen. In Galatians 3, verse 10, For all who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. When I was studying this, I was just thinking, how about Jesus? He became a curse for us. Because the Bible says, Cursed is everybody that is hung on a tree. He became a curse for you and me. Back to Deuteronomy 18:15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, again, remember, the principles of judgment are based on the life that the person is choosing to live. Are you living your life according to your own righteous standards or are you living your life according to God's guidance by his Holy Spirit? It's a big difference. Are you under the works of the law trying, trying, trying? Or are you under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and he's leading you through your life, how you're acting, things, and you've seen that there's been a transformation in your heart, maybe... Example, at work. 
Maybe that person who was a pain to you is no longer a pain, even though they still are a pain. Because God is changing your heart. And now you're praying for that individual. You're taking the time out about lifting him or her to the throne of God. And that's changing your heart. When Gentiles who do not have the law, we're in verse 14, by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to not only Jewish believers, but to Gentile believers. He's trying to cover all the bases showing that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, that you too are a sinner. Regardless of the standards you follow, you've broken the very standards that you live by. The Jew, the law. The non-Jew, the law that's been written on their heart, their conscience. They know that murder is bad. They know that lying is bad. There's things that God has woven into every person that they know if they're doing good or if they're doing evil. No man or woman teenager, boy or girl will have an excuse when they stand before the Lord because God has already shown it during their lifetime here on this earth. There's a word conscience in verse 15. And I was just thinking that whether you have a clear conscience or a good conscience, an evil conscience, a corrupted conscience, a weak conscience, a defiled conscience, or a seared conscience, all of those are consciences that God wants to radically change, including the good conscience. And you might say, well, what do you mean? If we're here today and we feel that everything is good in our walk with the Lord, I caution you because when you think you're doing really, really good, Take it from experience. The fall is coming. You're going to trip up somewhere. As long as I live on this earth, I will never have my act together. Just ask my wife. <laughs> ask, ask those closest to you. We're still works under construction, aren't we? Every one of us. God's not finished with us yet. If he was finished with us, guess what? We would be in glory right now. Come, Lord Jesus. But in his timing, and until then, he's working on you, but he's also, dear people, he's also using you to make an impact in the kingdom of God against all those people that Romans 1 and 2 is talking about regardless of who they are. From the murderer to the pervert, to the liar, to the thief. Look at the uh, example we have with the prodigal son who left home with his father's inheritance and went away and spent it all. And then ended up with the pigs. And then finally, his eyes saw that, hey, I could be a servant in my dad's house rather than be in the pig pen. I'm going back home to my dad. And he got back home and he found that his father didn't make him a servant. He was still his son. He still wrapped his arms around him and brought him home and he threw a feast. And hopefully you and I can identify. Because I think you and I, I'm looking at a bunch of prodigals at one time or another. Whether it be with your real mom and dad 
with an adoptive parent or with your Heavenly Father. Well, maybe one time you received Jesus into your heart and you left. You turned your back on the Lord and you walked away. And then because of that goodness, because of that long-suffering, because of that forbearance, you turned and you went back home to him. And you know how that touched your heart. You know you felt love again. The love that you had walked away from and squandered in the world because you thought the world had a better answer. And it didn't. It was a lie. Why? Why is it a lie? Because the world is in the hands of the Father of lies. And he's using the world and the flesh and his demonic army to tantalize, to throw the bait out there, to hook you in. The bamboozle concert going down in Asbury Park, thousands of young people. Bamboozle, the definition of the word, to deceive, to distort. Let's go get deceived and distorted, guys. Come on. There's a bus coming. We're going to go get deceived and distorted. But Satan has blinded the eyes of not only the young people, but the middle aged and older. And unless we have God's light of his word shining on our hearts every single day, it's very easily for any one of us. Doesn't matter if you're an elder, a pastor, it doesn't matter. That's, that's a privilege God gives you. We're still human beings that can fall in an instant, in a second. Just like the prodigal son's brother who was in the house all the time. And whose sins are worse? The prodigal son who left or the prodigal who's home, who we see through the story, his jealousy, his anger, his envy, his rage, his greed, all those internal sins. You see, the Pharisees stood on the street corners and all the people said, oh, I can never, never be like them. But what did Jesus say? They're whitewashed sepulchers. Over in Israel, there, there are graves above the ground. Little boxes, maybe about as wide as the pulpit. Jesus compared the Pharisees to those whitewashed sepulchers. Nice on the outside, the appearance is great, but inside was dead men's bones, decay, odor, bacteria, maggots. See, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, like that prodigal son's brother. Which one are you and I represented by today? prodigal son that's returned home? Or are we the one in the church who has all these thoughts in our heads that God does not want there? There's still a work he wants to do on our hearts. A seared conscience a seared conscience is one that will disp display ungodly attitudes or looks away from God in the Bible as the proper authority. And people have consciences that are seared. They no longer look to God for answers. They no longer look to God's word as a proper authority. Notice verse 16 should be a very sobering thought. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. In Acts 17.30, it says, Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent 
because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man who he designed, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. As we turn to the next section, which is section 17 to 29, that brings us to the end of the chapter. There's going to be some things that are very similar to chapter 1 in Romans, verses 18 to 32. He is pointing out here that man knew the truth, but rejected it. And as a result of that rejection, is guilty of idolatry, sensuality, and immorality. Let's take a look at verse 17. His attention is now turning to the Jews in this section, saying that they're as guilty as the Gentiles. Verse 17, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and you make your boast in God. Definitely a good chance for the Jewish person to be very prideful because of their rich history of how God chose them as the apple of their eye. In Exodus 19, 5 to 6, it says, And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my people, my special possession out of all the nations. For all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. Back to verse 18. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent, be instructed out of the law. That's Romans 2.18. Going back, or just jumping over to Romans 3.20, it says, For no one is declared righteous before him by the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So you see, the Jewish person has no excuse because they were given the very words of God. They were given the commandments of God. They knew what they had to do if they wanted to achieve eternal life. But the law was never meant to be the standard to get you to heaven. But instead, as we know, the law was a mirror to show you your imperfection and your sin. Most of us went to a mirror this morning when we woke up. I know there's a couple of you who didn't, but we're not going to point you out. <laughs> but most of us went to a mirror and we looked and we fixed things. We saw the imperfections and we tried to make it a little more perfect. We didn't take the mirror off the wall and wash our face. We didn't take the mirror or a piece of the mirror and shave. No, when we saw something, we took the soap and water or jumped in the shower. And that did the cleansing. Well, so it is with the law. The law is just a mirror. The soap and the cleansing is what Jesus did when he paid for your sin and my sin at the cross through his death, through his resurrection, through the empowering of his Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And you know his will and you approve the things that are ex excellent, again, be instructed out of the law. And now let's go to verse 19. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. You see, the Jewish person believed that everyone was destined for judgment except himself. It would not be any special goodness which kept him immune from the wrath of God, but simply the fact that he was a Jew. You have the Pharisee in the temple and the publican, which was a tax collector. And remember, the Pharisee stood before God and just said, Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like him. Now, you've got to understand, 
If we're one of those self-righteous people and we're pointing the finger, and I always do this with my athletes, who the heck you pointing the finger at? You say that he missed the layup that lost the game. But understand, when I'm pointing the finger at you, there's three that are pointing back to me. We can all find things that we've done that probably are a lot worse than the thing we're pointing out that the other person has done. And understand that the just judge, the perfect judge, remember, he's going to judge all things and all people. He knows everything. He's the perfect one. It's going to be no slippage under his judgment when he comes. The word of God says, judge not lest you be judged. Do you want to be judged? Oh, no. Do I want to be judged? Uh-uh. No way. I do not want God's justice. I want his mercy. Lord, I fall at your feet and plead for your mercy. Because I am not just. I'm a sinner. I am destined for hell unless you intervene. And that's who I place my trust in for what he did. Verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who have or idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. You know, it's easy for anyone of the pastors or elders to come up here and teach and tell you things. But we're just as accountable as you. God doesn't look at you or me any different. We're his creation. Hopefully we're all his sons and daughters. But you know what? We're held accountable for what God has revealed to us and through his word, just like you are. And I pray that God just keeps me following him through the power of his Holy Spirit, not through any efforts of mine, just like you have to do that. We're all together in this walk with the Lord. In Isaiah 52, 5, it says, And now what do we have here, says the Lord? Indeed, my people have been carried away for nothing. Those who rule over them taunt, says the Lord, and my name is constantly slandered all day long. You know, how about later on today, you're driving home and you see my wife and I going into a go-go bar because I'm dancing. <laughs> That's an ugly thought, isn't it? Okay. How would that make you look at me the next time I came up to teach here? Or would your son or your daughter be downstairs next week under the leadership in the youth ministry? I don't think so. I don't think that would happen, you see. But remember here, there's two things that I want, I think that God has really put in on my heart, is the actions as well as the thoughts are very important. What's going on? Last section that we're going to look at, to bring us to the close, is the last few verses, starting with verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? 
and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. We'll stop there for a second. In the Greek, the second part of verse 25 is very interesting. It says, if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become a foreskin. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Next to the Mosaic law, the Jew boasted almost equally in their circumcision. And it was something that happened way back with Abraham. That's when it started, circumcising the male on the eighth day. But Paul is reminding people that the reality of what's being done here is more than profession, okay? It's more than the outward act of circumcision. It's like for you and I, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper or we're baptized. That's an outward action of what? Something that should be happening in our heart. See, the outward sign means nothing unless there is a circumcision in our heart. And that applies to the male and the female. We all can have that circumcision, spiritually speaking. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, and remember the word Jew comes from the name Judah. And the name Judah means praise. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Paul here is saying that the person who really praises God is really the one who's wearing the label of circumcision. But it's the one who is obeying God that has truly been circumcised in the heart. That's the person who has a circumcised heart, the obedient person, not the one who has outward circumcision. It's in the spirit that we're circumcised, by the spirit. It's not in the letter of the law. And what are we looking for, everyone? Are we looking for the praises of men and women? No. We're looking from the praise that comes from God. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Just as ritual circumcision cuts away the foreskin as an external symbol of dedicated covenant commitment, you must genuinely dedicate yourselves to the Lord and get rid of everything that hinders your commitment to me. People of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, if you do not, my anger will blaze up like a flaming fire against you that no one will be able to extinguish. That will happen because of the evil you have done. Further down in another chapter of Jeremiah, it says, The Lord says, watch out. The time is coming when I will punish all those who are circumcised only in the flesh. That is, I will punish the Egyptians, the Judeans, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and all the desert people who cut their hair short at the temples. I will do so because none of the people of those nations are really circumcised in the Lord's sight. Moreover, none of the people of Israel are circumcised when it comes to their heart. And finally, in Ezekiel 44, 9, it says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. No foreigner who is uncircumcised in heart and flesh among all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel will enter into my sanctuary. Paul is pointing out here that perfect obedience is more important than religious privilege. Perfect obedience. Even though the Jews boasted in outward matters, the law and circumcision, they were guilty of failing God inwardly, as were the Gentiles. A God-fearing Gentile was more pleasing to God than a disobedient Jew because God delights in obedience 
Where are we today? What is it that God is trying to show us through his word? I know for me, it's a continuance in my walk with him to the point that, Lord, I want you to keep shedding light on those things in my life that are displeasing to you. I'm not where you want me to be, Lord. But every day I want to get a little closer to you. Heart circumcision, which I believe is what the God is showing you and me here today, is something that's a spiritual operation done by God's Holy Spirit. It's not a physical operation. It's not something that has to be the letter of the law. But it's a willingness on your part and my part to allow God, in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to do a work on our hearts. So it doesn't matter if you're here today and you're a born-again believer. It does not matter. This message is for you. Because we very easily can think that we're self-righteous. Especially with the darkness and the sin and the Christ rejection that's going in our world. So this message is for all of us. If you're here today and God's word has spoken to you and you have not have yet to begin your walk with the Lord, well, we definitely want to give you that opportunity. Because as Paul is showing so tremendously in the book of Romans, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. I want to close with this, and then we'll give anyone an opportunity to come up to receive Jesus Christ. And then we're going to pray for all of us that God just does a neat work um, and, and just a new fresh point of his Holy Spirit to shed lights in those areas that he wants to change in our hearts. As many of you know, uh, Ashley, um, Marie and I, daughter, um, left our house about four months ago because of uh, just being a rebel. And what's so cool is I'm talking to a lot of rebels out here right now. I'm looking at a lot of rebels. Some of you I've known for a long time, and I definitely know that you were a rebel that returned home. Um, I recently saw a clip from uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and uh, Sam and Frodo met Smeagol, and Smeagol was doing his thing, that little ugly creature in Lord of the Rings. And Sam was blown away by Frodo, who was trying to just show love and compassion to Smeagol. And he couldn't understand it. And, and he asked him, he goes, Frodo, why are you doing this? Why are you acting this way towards him? And Frodo came back and said, because I see what he can be. I can see what he can become. Well, you know, you and I, God sees a finished product. We don't see that yet. So the journey the Lord takes all of us on is different. Sometimes our paths cross, like now. But my daughter Ashley, Maria's, and my daughter Ashley, four months ago, left home. She left home because she did not want to conform because our house is guided by Jesus Christ. So she decided to do her own thing. We've been praying for her, and I know some of you have, and now I can ask all of you, please pray. Because I just need to show you right now the power of prayer, and I know there are a lot of people here who have prodigal children, and the reason I know is because she shared that with us at a men's breakfast. But I also want to say this to you. You might be sitting in the pew today, young person, and you're a prodigal. Even though you're living in your home right now, you've already left home. Even though you're there physically, you've left there mentally. And I want to also talk to some people in the church here today that you're here in the church, but you're not here. You're here physically, but spiritually you're not here. And God is good, 
I'm learning that. I learned that over the last couple days, another depth of his goodness. And that's what I like to share with and close. And I know that God has given me this today to use for you. Because maybe you need this today. Tuesday night, 12.30 a.m., actually Wednesday morning, Ashley and a friend had just gone see the New York Yankees and the Baltimore Orioles play in Baltimore. After the game, they started driving down to see Ashley's sister in Mississippi. They didn't see the 18-wheeler that was traveling between 70 and 80 miles an hour in the right lane. They had pulled off to the side of the road to check directions. And instead of speeding up on the shoulder of the road and coming out at the right speed, they came out and accelerated in the right lane. The truck hit them from behind. And if this was the car, it smashed the back of the car up to here. It flipped the car over on its top. It bounced, landed on its wheels, bounced, and landed on its hood. None of the side doors were damaged. The back of the car, the car looks just like I'm showing you right now. Both Ashley and her friend crawled out of the car. Um, no scratches on Ashley. A lot of soreness. A couple bumps and bruises on the other person. Other person and Ashley both were crawled out into a patch of poison ivy. The other person is covered in poison ivy. But the police, the ambulance driver, said, you guys should be dead. Dead. If you saw the car, you would see what I mean. They don't deserve to be alive. They don't deserve to have no broken limbs. But the thing that stood out to me in Romans 2 today is the goodness of God. You see, our prayer, a couple prayers, and, and we'll share this and close with this, is one of our prayers is that who and where Ashley was going, Lord Jesus, if you don't want her with that person or you don't want her going down to see your sister, please stop her. And Lord Jesus, if you don't want her with this person, please remove this person from her life. Ever since we adopted Ashley at seven years old, our prayer has been, Lord, somewhere in the world, be preparing a heart of a young man that will be her husband one day, who has a heart after you first and after Ashley second. That is a prayer we continue to do. And if this person she is with is that boy or a young man, praise God. And if this is one of the incidents God's using to bring them closer to a relationship with him, praise God. But if it's not, we want that boy and those situations to be violently removed. Young people that are here today. Can't get to heaven on the coattails of your mom and dad. It's an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are here today, you precious, dear young people, been teaching 37 years, teenagers and 7th and 8th graders. They're awesome. Their energy, their spunk, their defiance, all that stuff. Boy, when it's channeled in the right direction... Great. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you only know Jesus Christ because of mom or dad, please don't wait. You see, God's goodness gave Ashley and her friend another day to determine how they're going to walk with Jesus Christ. 
If you are here today, I'll tell you right now, your mom and dad, your brother and sister who's been following the Lord will come up right here with you to receive. See you receive Jesus into your heart. So I'm going to ask any young person today, don't wait till you're lying upside down like an astronaut in a pit thinking that you're covered in blood only to find out it was body lotion that exploded. Not being able to see why your head is all wet. I want you to come up right now. Just come on up right here and we're going to pray for your salvation. Is there anyone? Don't wait. Might be too late. Don't be embarrassed. I've seen young people do phenomenal things on the athletic fields and in the classroom. And that's with peer pressure. You have a godly presence here through the adults and teens that are here right now. It's a beautiful time to do it. Is there anyone, any young person? Maybe I, I, I should... Uh, Clarify what's young. <laughs> Is there anyone who the Lord's knocking on your heart's door that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you want to rededicate your life? Don't let it take an 18-wheeler. Let God's Holy Spirit shine on you. If that